Lockdown Diaries, Chapter 3 In the last few days, I've begun to realize that my month in the great indoors of this lockdown has already had its own seasons. Like the stages of grief, it started with the clouds of shock, there was denial, I powered up with podcasting resilience, then waned into a sad winter, and now there's an uneasy feeling about what comes next. Meanwhile, a big part of trying to stay out of the pandemic's way has been finding new ways to pass these hours at home. While I'd like to say I've been reading the great novels I've missed and wanted to read, I've actually been spending a lot more of my time than usual loitering online. There's plenty of series to binge and catch up on, but there's also a steady stream of new lockdown content from our current pop star and celebrity influencers. Just this week, Dua Lipa kicked off a massive mashup performance of the Foo Fighters' Times Like These for the BBC. All of this filmed at home. Stars are usually so shiny and glossy, styled and dressed for red carpets, leaving us thirsty with their achievements and relentless charm. But now, forced to wrestle with purpose, like all of us, they're diving into confessional Wild West live streams and awkward Instagram close-ups. As a culture writer, what I think I've appreciated most about these unvarnished digital appearances is the unmasking of our celebrity holograms. Some of the virtue signaling by some of these people is still forced and annoying, but some of our stars have revealed depths, empathy, and realness we're not usually invited to see. One of the people broadcasting from home in this time is the British actor and rapper Riz Ahmed. How's it going? This is Riz. And um, thanks for tuning in. We've been doing these events, these long lockdown kind of live streams, just a way of staying connected, keeping the conversation going while we're all at home. We're lucky enough to be at home, those of us who are. Today in Chapter 3 of Lockdown Diaries, I'm excited to share a long conversation I had with Riz for his ongoing The Long Lockdown series. I just really wonder what's going to happen after this, if we go to a world of even more closed borders, even more fear of outsiders. It's worth taking a look at who you're who the people are working the checkouts at grocery stores. It's worth taking a look at who the people are working in those hospital wards, who those nurses are working frontline. Last month, just before the lockdown began, Riz released a new solo album called The Long Goodbye. It's a very personal record that he's been working on for some time. It's also a breakup album about his tortured relationship with a girl named Brittany. The name he's given his country, Britain to which he finds himself now saying a long goodbye. Hey, I'll be fine if you don't want me. You want to tell my phone, don't trust me. You want to check up on my phone. You want to send your spies to bust me. You're too busy trying to control me to ever love me. I first met Riz almost a decade ago to interview him about his Hollywood debut in The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Riz and I are the same age, we share a Pakistani hyphenated background, we're both sons of Muslim immigrants, and I remember I was so inspired to see him at the center of an American movie, co-starring with Kate Hudson and Kiefer Sutherland, and frankly stealing the entire show. 
A few years later, Riz won the Emmy for The Night Of. He became a pop culture icon, had roles in Star Wars, The Bourne Film, and so on. Through it all, his commitment to being a voice for inclusion, representation, and defying expectations of South Asians, Muslims, immigrants in the media have made him one of the most exciting voices in the current class of A-list stars. Was it always a plan? Did you just need a man to get back on your feet? Was I even your man? Or just a fashion accessory? Tell me honestly, true. Is it cause I flipped the script? Held you down when you wanna be on top of me? I know you like it. Is it cause I shine too bright? You don't want a king, you want a colony. You say I the Long Goodbye is an unsettling, disturbing, and frankly at times very uncomfortable listen about a breakup. The story of a brown heart left broken by exclusion, erasure, and discrimination. Made in the echoes of Donald Trump's election and Brexit, the ascent of mainstream white supremacy, Riz's album is an analogy for the experience of losing your country as a person of color, for coming to terms with how to ask and demand your self-worth when your country doesn't see you, doesn't love you back. Riz was going to debut the album with a live concert and theatrical version at the Brooklyn Academy of Music earlier this month. I had a ticket to see that, and like everything, it was cancelled, of course. And when I reached him at home in London via video Zoom, I began by asking him about that lost opportunity to share this very personal work in person. It's kind of crazy because we cancelled the show a few weeks out, I think before, you know, way before UK went into lockdown. Uh, or, or the US and at the time we thought this is probably the right thing to do but are we being jumpy I don't know and now it just feels like with every day that's gone by since then it's like it would have been unimaginable to continue so yeah I mean it's it's a bit of a blow obviously thinking of a lot of the touring musicians and crew and production crew and people at theaters and you know in live music who are suffering right now as everything goes on hold I mean, but the album had come out before a lot of this stuff got started and people were really, I mean, we're talking about it because it's the kind of record and it's the kind of release with the accompanying film that you made. I think it definitely forces you to pay attention and to reflect. It's that kind of a project and the timing being what it is, I think it, I've, I've had, I feel like more time to even sit with it and think about it in the, in the weeks since it came out. I mean, the first single from the record is a video. Can you talk a little bit about that? And well, you know, actually, we'll just touch on your point as well. It is weird, isn't it? The way lockdown is kind of changing our relationship to how we're reading, how we're watching. Um, on the one hand, I feel like, you know, when we're in that kind of anxious space, we're just on social media, like our attention span is, at least speaking for myself, is all over the place. But also just the quiet and the, the you know, the big empty in your, in your daily schedule is you do have time to sit with albums a bit more in a way that maybe I wouldn't have before. I've been really sitting with the J Electronica album, you know, in a way where I might have like dipped in and out a few tracks, see what sticks, but really going back to it and listening and re-listening. So it has been interesting to see how it's sticking with people um, for the long goodbye. Um, so Shikwa is, um, it's the intro, it's called The Breakup. And it really sets out the whole concept of the long goodbye album, which is the idea of, you know, you're breaking up with your country, in my case, Britain, and the reason it's called Shikwa as well is because it kind of references this, this big poem by Muhammad Iqbal, who's a guy that kind of created the concept of Pakistan. He was a kind of Indian Muslim philosopher and poet. And um, yeah, he kind of wrote this poem where he's kind of complaining to God about what the state is of, of you know, Muslims in the world at that time. And 
it's not so much that you know my rap isn't specifically about Muslims or anything. As I said, I think it's about anyone who feels unwanted in their in their home country right now. But shikwa means complaint, so it's like this poem where you're kind of complaining about like, yo, look how you treated well, me. And the famous poem that you refer to, there's also the jawabe shikwa, right? Which is like there's the complaint, and then there's also the answer that is also eventually written as well. So it's kind of like a very interesting piece in general because it it both presents a complaint and then eventually in the original, you got like an answer as well. So somebody I remember mentioned to me, like to make sure to ask you if there's a Javab coming as well at some point, not just- Right, yeah, let's see. Yeah, spin-off, spin-off track. Um, but let's talk about this video. Do you want to set it up or do you want to just go to it? Yeah, no, this is this is the video for the breakup, Shikwa, and um, yeah, it's from the long goodbye. Britain's broken up with me. We had our ups, but now it's broken down. Let me break down the whole fuckery. Fuck buddies turned toxic, intertwined. Now we got kids. Built her up, she left me broke. I can't believe I let her fuck with me. I was a mole. Had the bling and the girls, grit and the pearls, my cash was a quarter of the stash in the world. And this stray pale chick came to trade. I laid with her, came to pay. She straight slithered and then stayed. I couldn't kick her out. She saw I was at war with myself and I'm a fool. When you're at war with yourself, you're easy to divide and rule. She had me locked down. Beat me red and blue till I knew that right was white and not brown. When it make you hate yourself, you hand over your crown. She moved in, I was a guest unwanted in my own house. She stole my shit, broke my dick, starved me, scarred me, got paid off the same back she whipped, let my ass bleed, left me hungry, took my industry and independence from me, took my doll, then lent me money, said that it was all to help me. And she had beef with some German next man. I went to war for her twice. Almost lost my left hand. Asked her to leave, I protest peacefully, I'll be the best man. She got violent, left in the end, cause she was stressed out. But as she left, she took a knife out from the bedstand, carved a scar down my middle just to leave me stretched out. I survived her attempt at dead man, but see the bleeding never ends, man. My cashmere jumper still stained red, man. Cause she was gone, no, I was finally free. I tried to get back on my feet, my phone flashed, and I see she keeps calling. Answer the phone, she keeps bawling. So she's broke. And how she's living is appalling. She needs building up, restoring. Told me her soldiers have all fallen. Begged me to rush like the wind, bringing the warmth in. A sub story and I bought it. The truth is, it felt good. She asked me to move in. I looked up to her and needed soothing. I thought if she accepted me, my worth would be proven. So I moved in. Yeah. Had a few kids, yeah. The future of mixed cultures. Born in our house, a new movement, but I was so fucking stupid. You didn't stop to think how badly it would just confuse them. Like, Daddy, why does Mum hate me? She looks at me and says, who's this? I came home one day, she changed the locks. My brown and white sepia sapna gone to pop. She said she blames me for how lately she's been feeling lost, how she isn't what she was, how our kids don't show no love. 
So now she's taking back control and now she wants me to fuck off. Told the feds I'm dangerous, insane and trying to kill her off. Had no time to explain to them the snipers took their shots. I'm heartbroken and I'm homeless. Trying to work out who I was before I was told I'm only good for blood, sweat and cock. Britannia breaking up with me, Britney baby, please stop. I thought we had a special thing, I know that we can make it up, Britannia. If you're breaking up with me, I might just break up. This will either be the end of me or be the wake up. Britannia breaking up with me. So this is the breakup. Okay, so um, I think that it's hard to watch that video, if you don't mind me saying. Um, I assume that's very much by design too. It's There's just a lot of... I mean, this piece in particular, as it opens it, it just sets up, there's so much pain in this album. Yeah, I mean, what was this like to kind of not only record it, but then this video version too, which is just, you know, we see, I mean, it's performance as well, but it's a very, um, it's difficult to watch. Thanks, yeah, yeah. I'm trying my hardest to make content that people don't want to watch. It's kind of like my main, my main <laughs> deal, though. Um, <laughs> But no, I appreciate. I think you don't want to watch it. Yeah, no, 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 I appreciate that. I appreciate it. No, I hear what you're saying. I mean, in a way, I do want it to be challenging. I do want it to be kind of confronting, and I do like making things that kind of confront people with thoughts that that maybe they don't want to look at um, directly. Um, I mean, to be honest, so this is the thing that I wrote right at the end. I'd written the rest of the album. I'd done it, and I realized, mm-hmm. hang on a minute, I need to kind of go further back than just this recent heartbreak of you know 2016 post Brexit, post Trump, Modi. You know, that th- this kind of global heartbreak that a lot of people are feeling, and actually put it in context. And it's actually something that you said to me in conversation once, Bilal, is that it's only heartbreaking if you care about the person, if there's history with that person. If there's baggage with that person, you know, if this is the clean break and you don't care, then this is not a heartbreak. It's just a breakup. But it's a heartbreak because there is that history, because we've been around their houses, we've gone back and forth. You know, you called me up to help you out when you were on your knees after World War II. I went to war for you. You know, when you met me, you, you were broke and you took my money. You know, all this kind of history really plays into it. And to be honest, putting it together for me really helped me to kind of conceptualize that relationship between Britain and its colonies, because I felt like it, it forced me to kind of do a abbreviated history. Do you know what I mean? And really fully understand everything that's brought us to this moment. And when you do condense it and put it all together, it's kind of crazy. You know, it really does fit the feeling of that kind of toxic relationship. So writing it in a way was kind of eye-opening for me and I wasn't sure what would come and then it, 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 it started to flow very, very quickly. And um, in terms of the performance, man, we did it like in, we had uh, two takes at the end of the wow. same filming day as the short film. So it's, you know, as you see, it's one take. So we did one take and there was something wrong with sound. So we just had to do one more and we, you know, managed to get it. And it's one of those weird ones where, there was no monitor. I couldn't tell when it would, you know, starts off here, then it goes here and it goes here. But it's just one of those lucky takes where as soon as you start seeing my arm, my arm starts moving. As soon as you start seeing my knee, I decided to start, which is a complete fluke, you know, but it was the end of that filming day of making the short film for, for the long goodbye. Um, and had you, had you always thought that you wanted sort of like, was the idea always to have it have this kind of, yeah, I mean, you're also an actor, so was it going to always to have a kind of performance component too? Because I think 
it's it's I think it's particularly heartbreaking because um, you know I, I'm quite I'm not I'm American so I've, I've always been interested in like the British Asian experience too has always struck me as people that I really like like Nathan Sawney and other musicians or British Asian they've all often been kind of from in my mind like people who did a lot of work around identity and multiculturalism and especially in that early 2000s period so in a way it's like somebody like you who kind of also represents in some ways New Britannia having this sort of a visceral feeling just on screen it's i mean i think that's part of what's been unsettling about it is because yeah. aren't you kind of supposed to be the next generation yeah. shouldn't you be happy yeah yeah, yeah exactly. i mean it's not, that, not that you should be happy but i think that in some ways like you know that that line about we were gonna have mixed race kids and now they're all yeah confused. well it's it's right i think there was that moment of optimism in the like late 90s in particular where it was this you know multiculturalism it feels like that was peak multiculturalism now you know what I mean? Not post 9-11, that's the the kind of the conversation around multiculturalism really changed. And, you know, a lot of communities obviously became criminalized and there was a lot of fear of others, fear of the outsiders, a lot of us and them kind of discourse from our politicians and newspapers. And so it does kind of feel like there was this moment of like, yeah, we're going to make this work. And I guess in a way, part of what was interesting about writing that piece is it did feel like, okay, we're back around the houses again. That is what happens in toxic relationships. That is what happens in one-sided romances, you know, or, or unhealthy relationships. What happens is you kind of fall into the same pattern again. Like, man, like you keep mistreating me and saying you need me, then I come back and help you and you mistreat me again. I'm thinking a little bit about what's going on with Corona right now, you know, the discourse that was so anti-immigrant um, for such a long time, particularly under, you know, Prime Minister Boris Johnson or, you know, under Donald Trump. It's worth taking a look at who you're, who the people are working the checkouts at grocery stores. It's worth taking a look at who the people are working in those hospital wards, who those nurses are working frontline. And again, here we are in a moment of crisis and yo, we need you. And I just really wonder what's gonna happen after this if we go to a world of even more closed borders, even more fear of outsiders. So it feels to me like it's that kind of same spiral, that same circle that we keep retreading, which, yeah, you're right, it is heartbreaking because in a way, like, there has been progress, but in a way, we kind of find ourselves retracing the same footsteps, right? Um, I mean, I, th I think with artists of color, too, in particular, it feels to me like the Obama years in the U.S., like, there's always been this sense that, you know, I think a lot of people want to see feel good stories and I think like triumphant moments. And like, I think about, you know, you're making it and you're being in the public and, and being in the culture in the way that you are is, is something to feel proud of and to feel excited by. And then there's this kind of irony that at the same time, you're also living in these countries at this time and seeing the politics. And I don't know, yeah. I, I always feel like, what it's, is that? It's tricky. It's tricky, right? Because yeah, on the one hand, I remember watching Black Panther and going, that's amazing. We need that. We need Black Panther, but we also need 12 Years a Slave. And I totally understand that actually is interesting where you had a lot of African-American actors and filmmakers don't want to tackle slave stories because it's like now, nah, like, yeah, I am more than just my trauma. I'm more than just resisting that trauma. I'm other things. I'm, I'm success. I'm powerful. I'm beautiful. You know, yeah. and I totally understand that. At the same time, I also think that we do need to reckon with our past, reckon with reality, reckon with the injustices that are going on right now, hold up a mirror to what our current world looks like. I think that's the role of art as well. So what I've tried to do with the Long Goodbye album is kind of do a bit of both. We'll go starts all the way in the past, you know, goes through this the grieving period of going through this heartbreak, 
of you know seeing this relationship with your country break down and then towards the end of the album you get to a place of self-love self-celebration self-acceptance which is a beautiful place to be because suddenly if you don't need someone else to accept you and validate you it's it's really liberating you know i think one of the things i mean and i and i put myself in this category of your admirers as well is that you i think always um you've been seen as a as an artist who doesn't mince words, you've spoken about these issues in parliament, but also in interviews, and you wrote an amazing piece that I remember, you know, a lot of people were talking about in media circles around the representation of Muslims and South Asians and in, in art and culture in The Guardian a few years ago. And I just want to ask you too, because, you know, there's a, one of my favorite documentaries is this documentary called Shut Up and Sing that was about the Dixie Chicks. And I bring it up because the Dixie Chicks famously spoke out against George Bush and the Iraq War and country music people and country music has generally had a position of like not speaking out on politics in America because it's like connected to red America, as it were. They like, you know, demolished all their records and basically they were banned. And one of the lines was like, just shut up and sing. Like your job is to entertain. And, you know, I mean, the Dixie Chicks, of course, ultimately decided like, you know, we're never going to shut up and just sing because we have something to say. And, and I think ultimately paid a variety of professional and, and personal prices for that. The reason I bring it up, and it's not to ask you the same question, like, why don't you just shut up and rap? But it's more the question of, like, you've also been in Star Wars, you've been in, in amazing big films that don't have to do with the nightmares of being an immigrant, in a way, in, in the world today. And to ask you sort of about how you think about that negotiation. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, I do wonder, maybe it does close certain doors to me by kind of making art that is confrontational or that some people might interpret as really political. But I used to kind of like confuse myself and work, you know, go around in circles myself sometimes thinking about this, thinking about where is my position in culture? You know, where's my position in the marketplace? How hireable am I for this? How If I go this way, then can I go that way? And and, and I think what I've realized is that actually some of the stuff that you make, which you think actually no one will even see becomes the most successful. Some of the stuff you make, which you think will be super niche and controversial becomes the most popular. I'm thinking of things like Four Lions. I'm thinking of even the, you know, the fact that the Long Goodbye album was, was you know, it was mentioned in British Parliament. You can try and second guess this stuff and you can try and negotiate it from an outside in point of view and look at the chessboard of your career and move it, move the pieces around. But I've found actually that you you still can't predict the outcomes. You still can't predict how people will receive your work. And so what I'm trying to do more now is just, just be really honest and just be really personal in all the work I do. You know, it, and personal means if I'm going to write an album at this moment, it, it sounds like the long goodbye. And, and I think that that is where I'm finding freedom now is just going, look, all I can do is I can just do, I, I'm going to do me. You know what I mean? I mean, I do want to ask you about this kind of idea of personal art making, too, because it connects a little bit to this time that we're in. Do you feel that people that you're watching and you're admiring and you're reading and listening to, are you yourself connecting to that work more than ever? Before? I mean, did you not as much before? Because it also seems to me like, you know, in, in directing, they always talked about the auteurism movement. Like, you know that if you're going to watch a movie by a certain person, it has their personal imprint. Did we go into an era of kind of people making less personal art and now is an era of like very biographical work? And 
or are you just also mm-hmm. connecting a lot to that work in particular? Is that the stuff that's? I think it's really both. Connected? I think that there's a there's a bigger kind of movement that's been made possible with stuff like what we're doing now with Facebook Live and with YouTube and with Instagram and and people broadcasting themselves and reality TV. I think people do connect to authenticity now that now that cameras are everywhere and broadcasting is everywhere. People recognize truth and the specificity of truth in a way that they you know weren't exposed to on mass before and so i think that means that there's both an appetite for authenticity and it also means that there's a high bar for authenticity so i think that's one of the things that's happening just big picture which is kind of bringing forward that movement i'm thinking of i don't know shia labeouf um, made um honey boy recently which is a very honey personal boy, film yeah. I, I recently made mogul mowgli which is a very uh, personal film with basam Tariq, which just went to, to berlin that's the broader cultural thing for me personally it's actually quite a personal decision for me to to tap in more to my own experience and it was actually because what i realized is that me popping up in this role over here or this role over here or this role over here did contribute a little bit to stretching culture i think it does you know you need to do that but i realized the thing that doesn't really exist in culture is 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 you is me. When I see an art critic and journalist on, on TV or in films, it doesn't look like you. They don't have your name. When I see on film and TV, like kind of, you know, uh, you know, actor rappers, they don't look like me. When I see a, a black belt in karate, you know, six foot tall, good looking, amazing actor, he doesn't look like Dev Patel, but that's what Dev Patel is. He's a six foot tall martial artist leading man. And so what I kind of realized is, hang on a minute, actually one of the ways I could really stretch culture is by putting my experience and my story into the culture because it's not currently reflected back. And it take, took me a while to gain the confidence to do that because when it's not reflected back at you, you think maybe it's not interesting. Maybe I shouldn't tell that story, but actually you need to step up and tell that story. So I think there's a big macro trend, but also for me personally, I realized yeah. that, I can stretch culture probably even more by putting my own experience into the culture. But I think, I mean, I think one of the the sort of flip sides of that though, is that I remember this because when we spoke for the first time, uh, when you were the star of the reluctant fundamentalist, which I, by the way, in my like mid twenties, when I read it, kind of aging myself here, but the point being, you know, really thought, okay, here's a book and a film being made about the Pakistani American experience after 9-11 about being Muslim in, in the West at that time. And what I remember, you know, asking you about was sort of the question of representation. And I think you talked about there's a burden of representation too, right? Like you can't be all things to all people and, mm-hmm. and certainly not to all Muslims and to all Pakistanis as, as well. And, you know, that's also, I'm sure, um, something that, you know, you, that you both want to kind of stretch culture and bring in yourself. But then how do you kind of make sure that other Muslims and other Pakistanis realize that like, it's not everyone's experience necessarily either. It's also yeah, its that's the kind of- thing. It's, it's a gift and a curse. It's a gift because knowing that your work carries a significance outside of just the work itself, outside of just entertainment, that's a real honor. But it's a curse as well because on some level, you just want to be an artist, just make him work. And then I think that push and pull is probably healthy. If you took it on completely, your work would just be trying to second guess what people want from you and it would be, you're not making art anymore. You're some kind of politician. Well, then there's also the song, Can I Live, that sort of addresses, I think, some of this too, some of the like pressures of woke art and, and kind of being all things to all people. Like, I thought maybe we could listen to a little bit. Please just let me live for two minutes. They won't let me live the two minutes. 
Tell me a little bit about this song and, and kind of what you're what you're trying to say. Yeah, it's weird. So it's at this kind of halfway point of the album when, you know, I've been dumped and I'm kind of work trying to work out who I am without her. And, and what I've left with is, is these negative voices in my head. And the negative voices in my head are saying two things. One thing they're saying is you don't belong here. You ain't shit without her acceptance, without Britney or Britannia's acceptance. And you know, believe the news headlines, you know, you, your destiny is to just kind of, is to be, you know, irrelevant or not amount to anything, to be unwelcome. That's one thing that the voice is saying. There's another voice in my head that's saying, if you even try and stand up to that and speak out against that, you're suddenly just defined by that whole conversation. Like it's a weird thing where like, if you kind of just push back against that and you're just labeled, you're just an activist. And so what I'm saying in this track, I guess, is, you know, it's, it's a lot of different things, but it's saying, what good does it do to even make this song? Really, what good does it do to make this album? By making this album, am I just making like entertaining art about a really fucked up situation? What, what's the good that's coming of it? I'm probably, you know, I'm, I'm just making money out of it. You know, am I, this is the line, you know, am I, am I putting my foot down? Or am I tap dancing for the man? Um, I think there's, you know, there's those kind of media media theorists like Herbert Marcuse and stuff say that actually the system always needs a small amount of dissent factored into it. It always needs a small amount of critical voices factored into, into it in order to legitimize it. By having this conversation, engaging in it, releasing a record that's available on capitalist streaming platforms and is entertaining to people, makes the pain more digestible, makes it more distracting, makes it easier to kind of go, oh, I've listened to it now, I can get on with my life. Am I helping the situation or am I making it worse? Like, what, what am I doing? So it's that moment of self-doubt that I think a lot of artists who want to kind of be socially engaged think about, which is, what's the point? You know, I know I had conversations with Hasan Minaj and lots of other people about this. Well, actually, what does it do? How do you answer that question then right now in lockdown? Because in a way, I think, um, you know, you released this album before all of this happened and you were going to, the part of sharing it was going to be a very different experience than, than the kind of way it's ended up being right now, at least. And not only this album, but I think for any artist, I mean, this is kind of one of the themes I know I wanted to talk to you about, too, is is what does that mean, you know, to be an artist right now when people are also, um, a lot of people's work has obviously disappeared in the arts world and, and in, in particular too, because so much of it is built around performance. And But also I just think the vulnerability that a lot of people are feeling about like health and life and their families and 
the can I live question is a question that you had while making this record before all of this happens. And now it, it suddenly has different dimensions in, in the current lockdown that we're having. This yeah, yeah. It's weird. You know, I almost think that a lot of the kind of the questions and the themes of going through a breakup and grieving the end of an old life, grieving the passing of an old way of living or an old country. Yeah that's even more relevant now. I think we are going through this collective grief. I think we're going through grief of mourning the lives that we've kind of left behind because I think we understand that life might not ever really fully be the same. We're also grieving what might be to come for us and our loved ones. Um, I mean, to, to talk about your question of what does it mean to be an artist right now? Uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit as well, just as friends, and I've been struggling with this a little bit because on the one hand, I want to step up and confront this moment and try and digest it and understand it with myself and for others. And on another level, I think what we're all being confronted with is who we are outside of these labels, who we are just as humans. I think we're being reminded of what it is to be human, what it is to kind of sit with yourself, to face yourself in the quiet, you know, to develop that relationship with yourself, to define yourself outside of ideas of productivity and earning validation or earning money. Now that the whole kind of system the whole economy is just kind of ground to a halt to understand our fragility so I'm, i guess in a way i'm unsure exactly what the role of an artist is right now and i guess i'm trying to experiment with it with what we're doing right now to be honest it's just to kind of continue to try and bring people together to try and make people think to to just be honest i'm unsure what it is but i i i'm i think we're all kind of being faced with even a bigger question, which is what is it to be a human? And I think in a way we'd forgotten a lot of what those fundamentals were. I think we would be reminded of like the fundamental nature of our existence and what it is, which is vulnerable, very fragile, very interconnected, very interdependent and not in control at all. You know, what it does to our collective consciousness, I don't know, but it certainly has opened the door undeniably to collective consciousness as something that we're all experiencing and tapped into right now. Well, I think that's a very um, apt and appropriate sort of conclusion. And uh, I'm so glad to get to like hear much more about the record because I think I was looking forward to all the ways that, and I'm, you know, inshallah, you'll have that opportunity again in the future to kind of do the performances and, and theater that you were also looking at creating around this piece. And Good luck with the rest of your uh, your lockdown and looking forward to the, the, the future sessions of the of the long lockdown. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you in person on the other side of this. Cheers. Take care, man. See you later. Bye. Riz Ahmed's new album is called The Long Goodbye. You can see full streams from Riz's long lockdown series of conversations, including ours, on his Facebook, Instagram, and video page. I'd like to thank each of you for listening to my lockdown diaries. Lockdown Diaries is now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can follow me and reach me on Instagram at lockdown.diaries. For those of you who are tuning in again, thank you so much for writing, for subscribing, and for being part of my community these days. Our theme music is by Zay Bungash. I'm Bilal Qureshi, and this has been a B-Sides production.